hi there, and welcome back to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son sit down and talk about fantasy literature. My name's Zach, I'm the son of the equation. And I'm Jim, the father, and again, we are so glad to have you with us today as we spend more time digging into Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time, specifically the first book in the series, The Eye of the World. Absolutely. It'd be a little strange for us to start with book 10. It would. Be very non sequitur. <laughs> My piano teacher hated me for that. And Being non sequitur? Yeah. I, I, rather, I needed to be start to finish. Oh, which man. I get from you. Oh, totally. So she hated you for it. So this podcast totally focuses on fantasy fiction. And while we are primarily featuring The Wheel of Time to start with, we do have a love for all of fantasy fiction and we'll continue to touch on different parts of it. Mm -hmm. I was recently talking on Discord with other lovers of fantasy fiction. Absolutely. About other series that we enjoy and things I want to read. And one that came up this week, actually today, was talking about Terry Pratchett and Discworld. Okay. And he has so many books in the Discworld series or serieses, and I've never read any of them. No. I owned one, and I think I actually sold it without reading it. <laughs> Hogfather. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I need to read it at some point. It's not deep, heavy fantasy literature. It's it's a light reading fiction. But, but it is good? It's good. That's what everyone I mean, says. My experience is a like mini-series that had Sean Astin in it called The Color of Magic. That's part of Discworld. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But that that's all I know. But it's part of what's been intimidating to me with Discworld is there's so much. And if I start it, I need to read it all. That's how I roll. But so we, clearly we, you're you able because you're finishing the Shannara series. <laughs> I will eventually once I finish Sanderson's Rhythm of War, which I am at 62% as of earlier today. Hey, over halfway. Man, it's so long. So vacation got you from what, 25 to 62? I was at like 40%. Oh, okay. I'd be farther if not for Discord. Man, I'm talking with so many people, getting to make so many connections and friends, which is great, yeah, but that it means gets in the way of my not reading. in any way, shape, or form <laughs> saying it is a bad thing no. to engage in these conversations. But it does take time. A little bit. And of course, then there's this podcast I have to prepare for. Really? Yeah. I got back from vacation recently. You are about to leave on vacation. I now. am, actually. Tell us about that. Where are you going, Zach? Uh, I am heading down to Texas. What you doing in Texas? Going to see some baseball? Going to see a girl. Going to see a girl? Yeah. <laughs> cricket. Cricket. I mean, cricket. like, I'm very open book, but I'm not, like, gonna just actively share so and you want to know information and then you want to you want to know information you got to ask questions and that's where it's going to stand fantasy for the ages at gmail.com sure if you want to learn about my personal life <laughs> you can email me and i'll answer many things you'll have to decide if i answered honestly or not <laughs> i don't have anything nearly so exciting i'll just be at work this week i like my job but it's not like traveling to see a girl though i will see a girl since i live with one and that's quite nice more crickets. Okay, let's jump into our content, shall we? Yes, please. This time, as we referenced at the end of our last episode, we're moving back in time to yes. see what happened to Tom, Rand, and Matt. Yay. After they got on the spray with Captain Bale Doman. They do be heading down the river. They are escaped from Shatterlogoth and heading to Whitebridge down the river. I'm reading the first sentence in your chapter <laughs> thing, and it says it begins with Rand having one of his special dreams, and I'm sitting here going... I thought we said we weren't that kind of fantasy <laughs> podcast. 
special dreams does not always mean what you are alluding to, my son. So chapter 24 is called Flight Down the Arenel, and yes, Rand is having a dream. The special of this dream is Baalzaman again. Yeah, that's not as nice. No, it is not a good special. It is a nasty special. But Alzaman is chasing him, and he can see him coming, and he's trying to escape. He's going through some sort of maze, and there's like hedgerows and all sorts of things. I don't know, straight out of Maze Runner. He's trying to get away from mm. Alzaman, and he hears some things. But Alzaman telling him, "How long do you think you can evade me? You are mine. The Eye of the World will not serve you." And yet, surprising to Baalzaman, Rand does finally do something that gets him out of the dream. Baalzaman has this expression on his face like shock as Rand does actually escape. Come on, man. You were supposed to be dreaming for like ever. Rand wakes up, sees he's fine. He's on the spray. But ow! He looks at his finger and there's a little bead of blood on the tip and he remembers in the maze in his dream when he was trying to get away, he touched a hedgerow which was a bunch of thorns, and that's exactly where he pricked his finger. Maybe it wasn't just a dream. Hmm. Where's the line? Apparently, perhaps, what happens in the dream can affect you in real life. Now, that's a scary thought. So just maybe don't die. (laughs) That might be a good plan. Most of us in dreams don't go around going, hmm, I think I'll die this time. So I think he's okay. His inclination will still be not to die. There's a lot of theories out there that you necessarily can't die in dreams. Like your subconscious will wake you up before you actually die or you like Except the, the dream cuts out. Except the ones that do die in dreams don't wake up. So there'd be no research on it. Because they actually die. Yes. Ooh. Well, what do we see in the real world? Captain Doman is pushing the spray as fast as possible down the Aranel you mean toward Whitebridge. He jumped in the river and is just like oh, man, pushing he it? he would. He would. But that would not <laughs> If he thought it would go faster, absolutely. You know, he has sails. They're doing no good because the wind is actually blowing vigorously Sail. straight up river as if it's fighting them. Because they're, they're trying to move this ship, the spray, down the Aranel as fast as it can. The wind is fighting against them. And so Bail Doman isn't content to just let the current carry them. He's got his crew rowing. Captain Doman really wants them down the river fast. He's like freaked out by these Trollocs. He does not want them catching them. They're not stopping at night. Remember when they first came upon them, they were tied ashore. He's like, we're not doing that anymore. At night, he puts a lantern out so they can still see. And they don't row at night. They just keep rolling down. (laughs) Rolling Rolling down the river. Flowing down the river. But they are not going to get caught. They are keeping moving at all times. This is hard work. Oh, yeah. So basically, the sailors never get a break. These guys are buff. But they're tired, too. They're yeah. not happy. And they would they start grumbling. You know, this is ah, stupid Captain Doman. Yeah, yada, 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 They've been yada. going fast and fast for apparently a long time, even before Rand, Matt, and Tom joined them. But now they're going even faster. Well, it's been a long haul. But when they start grumbling particularly hard, Doman will just go out and get the... They had a couple weapons that were left over from when they did fight off the Trollocs. Mm -hmm. And these Trolloc weapons are nasty looking things. So he'll just hang them out, put them on display, just to remind them, this is why we're going so fast. We don't want these guys to catch us. And that, that quiets them down for a little bit, at least for a time. Most of the time, Tom is out there rubbing el- elbows with the sailors. He's making jokes. You know, he's he's buddy-buddy with all these guys. He's being Tom. Yeah. But when they start to grumble and get really kind of uh, persnickety about all this, he kind of makes himself scarce. It's like, I don't want to be around when they're in a bad mm-hmm. mood. It's subtle, but it's it's there. Rand thinks it looks like he's afraid the sailors will start blaming Tom, blaming them for their issues. 
but that doesn't make sense to Rand because he's like, no, no, no. They're all clearly blaming Gelb, you know, the uh, Gelb of the one who fell asleep on watch. Mm -hmm. The one who, yeah, wants to blame Rand and his people, but nobody's listening to Gelb. He's like, really, he is the scapegoat now. They totally can't stand this guy. They don't give him the time of day. We don't need to worry. And Tom's like, no, 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 no. We do need to worry. Because Gelb can be a problem on his own. Gelb can maybe even try and shift blame to us, but that's not what's worrisome. What's worrisome is a crew full of people turning on their captain. Yes. If they get fed up enough with how hard they're being pushed, they could mutiny. And that puts everything, including their stay on this ship, completely in jeopardy. There is a very serious law against mutiny. So if you mutiny... They're going to kill everybody because <laughs> you don't want anyone to know you mutinied. Mm -hmm. Okay, we got to try to turn that around. Tom steps up his game. He's he like, starts doing the glee man thing. Oh, yeah. He spends a lot of his time now really entertaining. He's going to try to lift the spirits of this group. Which, truthfully, is something that Tom was already doing for the main group when we were all together. Mm -hmm. Now he's doing it for all the sailors. He tells stories with all the flourishes a glee man can do. He plays any songs they request, and he even starts training Rand and Matt. He said they were his apprentices. Now he's putting that to work. He is literally training them to be gleemen. Mm -hmm. And that, in and of itself, is entertainment because these are just a couple of farm yeah, boys. It's entertaining, and it also solidifies their cover. Yes. The sailors, you know, they don't all work constantly. Any boat has sailors yeah. working in shifts. Okay, so when they're not working but not sleeping, they're hanging out watching. Yeah. Rand and Matt learning to be Gleeman. Rand tries to play the flute. So does Matt for a while. Matt has no skill with the flute. Rand, oh, it's painful. Oh, yeah. Ever heard someone learning to play the flute? It's not as bad as someone trying to learn the clarinet. Or the violin. Oh, my goodness. All these squawks and squeals and scratches. Yeah, it's nasty. But I will take learning to play the piano any day. That's still going to sound halfway decent if you're bad. We got a neighbor kid here right outside my window Aww. playing the trumpet. He's gotten a lot better. But it. But when he first rough. started out, oh, that was horrible. <laughs> horrible. Well, I swear there's another one on the other side that was the, trying the clarinet because I was hearing the telltale squeaks. I yeah. can't say that word. Squeaks. Of, yes. No, telltale. Telltale. Of that is someone, such a hard word. Tell. I don't know tale. why. Dude, really? But of someone trying to play a clarinet but not having their mouth in the right aperture. And okay, you can say amateur, but you can't say telltale. <laughs> I'm more a music person, okay? <laughs> and it just it leads to this really nasty squeak through the mouthpiece and the reed itself. It's one of the worst sounds, I think, in music. That's funny. <laughs> As they're listening, obviously, to Rand try to play the flute, it's pretty pretty rough. But it gets better. Yeah. And he starts, you know, getting better. Honestly, the crazy more impressive one, in my opinion, is Matt. Because he's learning how to juggle on a boat that is moving quickly. Yeah, sure, he's not it's good. it's not like the ocean where it's rocking back and forth. Constantly. No, but there is serious motion. They're not like at a slow drift. They're going. It's not easy to learn how to juggle in the first place. And yet Matt shows some skill for it. Noticeably, Rand doesn't really show any particular no, skill on that either. But still, they're, they're muddling along, so it is somewhat entertaining. At one point, Rand and Matt during a break in the training, they notice a glint of metal off in the distance, well past the shore, out in the middle of nowhere. It's too far to really make out what it is, but it clearly looks like metal where there's nothing. 
Like just a weird metal tower of yeah, some sort or something? They're pondering what in the heck, and Captain Doman, he under- overhears, and he shares what he knows. It is a steel tower, 200 feet high. Could you call it a dark tower? No, it's not dark. <laughs> it is not dark. Nice try. It's shiny. Okay, very shiny. And so shiny that it does catch the, the light very well, and sailors have come to use it kind of as a milepost. You know, mm. it's a marker, so you know you've made it as far as that tower. It's a lighthouse for the <laughs> a river instead of the ocean. <laughs> uh, maybe it is the dark tower, since Eric says it is shiny. I haven't read that in a while. Maybe it is shiny. I haven't read it at all, so I'm sticking <laughs> with it. It's the Dark Tower. So this tower is about as big around as a house. It's got no entrances, no markings, no scratches, not even any rust. It's it's a complete mystery. And it's just sitting out here in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It leads him on to going, we've got some other stuff to talk about in this world that are, is mysterious. This is just one thing, but I've traveled all over. I know lots of mysteries. For example, okay, now he goes on to talk about things. We're just going to put out a list of some things we get. Big lore dump. Information drops. There are people called the Seafolk, and they have islands. Mm -hmm. They don't spend a lot of time in the islands because they like to be on their ships. They are sailors. All they care about are their ships. They do have these islands, and they serve a purpose. One of those is called Tremalking. And on it, there is a stone hand sticking out of the earth, 50 feet high, clutching a crystal sphere as big as the spray. You know what they say about big hands. No, I don't know. What do they say about big hands? Big spheres. Big hands, big spheres. It's holding a big sphere. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That joke just died. Sorry. (laughs) You know what they say about big feet? Oh, not, no, it's not, not that, that kind of podcast. podcast. <laughs> but that is where I was going. <laughs> I know, but you didn't go far enough. So oh, of that course. Was, that was bad. Okay. The sea folk could care less about this stone hand. Again, because all they care about are their ships. But also one other thing we learned about them. They are seeking their Coromor, translated as the Chosen One. We don't know Why anything about Why didn't they that. just say that? But the Coromor. Because, <laughs> you know, things have fancy names. Nah, it's, it's cool. We learned that there is a city called Tanchico which is on the coast of the Aerith Ocean. First time we've heard about an ocean. And that the city of Tanchico has a panarch. We don't know what the panarch is. No, but it sounds like a monarch of some sort. Right. The panarch has a palace that goes along with monarch. Okay. Parts of this palace were built in the Age of Legends. Or so it's said. Not the whole palace, but parts of it. And that's really old. And this includes a wall with art of animals that no one living has ever seen. But... It's not just, hey, I could draw some fancy animals. No, there are, in another place of the palace, like a museum, where there are the bones of these animals. Think of Museum of yeah. Natural History, where you have dinosaur skeletons. Exactly. A number of other things that have been seen around the world, and Doman has collected some of these. Mm-hmm. Light sticks. Okay. Razor lace. Yep. Heart stone. Uh-huh. And then there's a crystal lattice that covers an island that hums when the moon is up. There's a mountain hollowed into a bowl with a silver spike a hundred spans high at its center, and anyone who comes within a mile of it dies. Okay, what? <laughs> All right. Those last four things I've described, any of that mean anything to you, Zach? Okay, light sticks sound loosely like glow sticks. You crack them, they light up. And maybe not exactly, but that's kind of line of inspiration. 
Okay. Um, razor lace sounds like razor wire or barbed wire. Both of those are there, one being the predecessor to the other, a kind of metal piece that is razor-like. Okay. Heartstone's cool. If I'm remembering what Heartstone turns out to be eventually, we hear about it and we have nothing like it in our world. Right. And this last thing... Got no idea on that one. I do. Yeah? It's, it sounds like a biosphere of some sorts. A then, controlled inner a environment. Thing. A mountain hollowed into a bowl and in its center, a silver spike 100 spans high. Any who comes within a mile of it dies. I mean, that to me sounded like one of those... Uh, big space antennas you know like there's one in south america where it's got the the big dish with a spike in the middle but it won't kill you if you get too close well and here's the thing that i think is funky it doesn't necessarily say a metal mountain hollowed into a bowl it says a mountain hollowed into a bowl which to me loosely makes me feel like perhaps this was ordnance dropped from orbit that also had radioactive nuclear properties and the people dying is because of that could be it is some radioactive element in the radioactive decay just the half-life still going so we don't know much more we're just left to postulate a little bit yeah about but it. it is a cool dropping a whole bunch of stuff we'll never hear much about yep however that metal tower yeah we'll hear more about that later just it'll be a lot later a lot later and you'll forget about it foreshadow remember spoiler light we're just pointing out that's more important than you think. I'm pretty sure I forgot about it. Oh, totally. Until it got pointed out to me by a different podcast, the Watt Spoilers podcast, <laughs> when I first listened to some of that. Yeah, when it comes back around, I had no recollection that we'd had it introduced in this book. But then I was like, oh, dang. Yeah, you heard it from us. It's proof that the author was thinking that far ahead, though. He was, absolutely. All right, four days later. We find Rand sitting atop the high mast of the spray, 50 feet above the water. Whee! He's been up there a while, enjoying the view, while he decides, hey, let's have a little fun. He starts kind of dancing around practically up on the mast. Completely careless. He has nothing to worry about, and he almost falls to his death. Oh, yeah, you said this thing, it's not on the ocean. It's not moving that much. But when you're 50 feet above the water, your point where you're tipping... A slight shift becomes a much bigger shift. Correct. What he's doing is pretty reckless. At one point, finally, Tom says, um, Rand, you want to come down from there? And he looks over and Tom has climbed all the way up to be by him. And Rand's like, huh? What? And he looks down and he sees everyone down below has quit working. They're all staring up at him. And he's like, huh, sure. Why not? I'll come down. And he grabs one of the ship lines and slides down Whee! it. And when he's near the bottom, he, he lets go. And I, it doesn't say it in the book, but in my mind, he flips. A, <laughs> I don't think he's coordinated He does a somersault do and lands with a flourish. It don't doesn't say wrong. he lands with a flourish, but in my mind, he did a flip. It's more like, a, to me, it's a blade landing. <laughs> he comes down, lands the pose, dramatic lift the head. <laughs> I could live with that. If it was Matt, I'd believe the flips. <clears throat> Not Rand. Whatever it is, it's pretty good because he gets a little smattering of applause. It's, it's It feels ooh. confused, though. It's like a, do we clap? We like, we're like we kind of glad the crazy boy didn't kill himself. but <laughs> We didn't want to have was... to clean up the deck when he splatted. Maybe he was trying to show how talented he is. They so would have just yeah. given the cleaning job to Gelb. It would have been fine. <clears throat> now, he got down really fast going that way. Kind of takes everybody a little by surprise, too. Tom is climbing back down now. He's not sliding down like Rand did. But because he got down so fast, one of the people he surprises is Matt. Mm -hmm. And he sees Matt there holding a dagger. He's playing with a dagger that's kind of hidden under his vest. 
really fancy dagger with a ruby on it. It's beautiful. And he's like, and uh, familiar. dude, where'd you get that? Mm-hmm. Did you take that from Shader Logoth? Uh-huh. Matt does admit, yes, from the treasure room. Because, you know, you guys wouldn't let me take anything, and you dragged me away, so I grabbed this real quick. Yeah, you had your sword, and you had your axe, so I grabbed this. Moraine said, you know, asked us all those questions, but uh, Mordeth didn't give it to me, and he didn't ask me to take it or anything. So I just took it. didn't fit any of those things we have to worry about, so I'm fine, and don't tell anyone I have it, because I don't want anyone to steal it. It's mine. It's my precious. My precious. In some ways, he's... Now, no, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think this is a direct parallel. I think it grabs a lot of that as inspiration for some of the it's later not bad. things. It's not bad. He definitely is very possessive of it, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want anyone else to know he has it. Now, Tom comes up at this point, having climbed down, and he says, Okay, Rand, I smoothed everything over, told Captain Doman that your high aerials up there, that was just part of your Gleeman training... We're and, working on acrobatics, and it's yep, and and we promise to be a little more careful so we don't concern the crew and stuff. And Rand, oh great! And he looks up where he came down from, and he his jaw drops, and he literally falls in his butt, going, "Holy crap! I was up there! What the heck was I doing? I don't even like heights." What had gotten into him? That's where the chapter ends. We move to chapter twenty-six. They're at White Bridge. A sailor shouts, White Bridge! And the boys look up and go, uh, well, that's an original name. Yeah, they, they see a big-ass white bridge. <laughs> There's a big honking bridge that's white. It, it seems like it's just completely made out of, like, this whitish stone, almost as if it's not carved, but a singular piece. As opposed to stone, it's more like glass. Mm-hmm. It's so smooth and polished. It's kind of a wonder of the world because it's never slippery, even though it's so smooth and you can't chip it, you can't groove it, you can't mark it. There's nothing you can do to it. It always stays perfect, and yet it's never slippery. It makes me think of a perfectly constructed, indestructible quartz. They figure it's from the time of the Age of Legends. They can't prove that, but they can say, we have no friggin' way how somebody made this, and we can't unmake it, so it's just there. And it's might as cool. well use it and charge a toll. And there's a little piddly town at the base on one side, on the, on the north side of the river. And like I said, let's call it White Bridge because you know, we're with a white bridge. I feel like the, the town mostly exists to be a stopping place for ships and to charge tolls for people going across the bridge. I don't say anything about there being a toll. So they don't say it. Might be a fine idea, but, but like, I think what, it's what do likely. tolls go for? Tolls usually go for maintaining the bridge. This bridge needs no maintaining, so no. this wouldn't be a toll. This would Fine, be... it'd be a tax fee tariff kind of thing. Maybe this is where some of it gets controlled if it's over land for goods entering this and or. This would be or. the Andor Mafia. Shaking people down? Shaking people Shaking down, down the farmers from the, the two bridge. rivers who happen to leave and sell out their two back. We are the trolls of the White Bridge. You need to pay us to use the bridge. I stand by, even though it doesn't say anything about money, <laughs> there probably is. The spray pulls up to the docks. First thing, Captain Doman kicks Florin Gilb off the ship. He is now officially fired. You're fired, man. Gilb is not at all happy with this. He's staring daggers of hate at Rand and his guys, but there's nothing they can do. He is out of here. Now they gather their things. They're going to head off the ship, too. Before they can leave, uh, Doman intercepts them, particularly talking to Tom, but they're kind of all with Tom. And he says, hey, you know, why don't you stay with us? He's acknowledging, you partly saved my bacon on yeah, this no, ride Yeah, he acknowledges down. the potential mutiny. He ba- yeah, he's basically saying, I saw what you saw. These guys were not happy with me. This could have gone an ugly, 
but because of your entertainment, I mean, you smooth things over so nicely, you were worth every penny. <laughs> he doesn't say you're worth every penny. Because they paid him, they and paid he's him stingy. And, and Tom's like, well, you know, it's a nice offer, but I don't think for what you charge, we could afford to stay with you. <laughs> and Doman's like, oh, yeah, well, about that. And he gives them a coin purse, returning their fares, and then some. So he does, in essence, pay them for their time and all they did along the way and says, so would you consider staying on? And Tom is clearly tempted because they're heading down to Ilian. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, Ilian sounds great. There's a new hunt for the horn being called. Mm -hmm. Great time for stories. We've heard Tom telling those stories of previous hunts. Uh, Gleeman can do well in Ilian. Mm -hmm. But But Rand, of course, is like, nope, we're here to meet some friends. We're heading on to Camelin. And Tom's like, but, you know, if, if we can't find our friends, if they're not here, maybe I'll come back. So it's Tom and Doman kind of talking. They give him kind of the day to decide, but... Doman's like, we're gone at first they, light. Yeah. So off they go. Time to go explore Whitebridge, see if we can find has Marine and Land come through? Have the others shown up? What can we find? So like any good adventuring thing, where do they go? They go to an inn. More specifically, in my mind, yeah, they go to an inn, but they go to a bar. That's where you go for information. Every inn in this world is seems a bar. to be a bar. It's got a common room, it serves beverages, and it happens to also have rooms if you want to rent them. But plenty of people go to these places just to do the bar thing and maybe get a meal. That's true. So they're hangouts for the locals. They don't pick just any inn and common room. No. Nope. Tom takes them specifically to the town square which is at the base of where the bridge comes into the town. The inn that's kind of right off from where the bridge comes off and then continues on through town and out further along the Camelin Road. He says, if our people came across the bridge and headed out, they would go right past this inn. And any innkeeper knows what happens around his inn and knows all the gossip in the area. We go in here, we ask questions, we'll find out what we need to know. Exactly. So they do. Well, they do go in and ask questions, at least. So they get in, they order some wine, they go off to a part of the common room where they have a little privacy, and when the innkeeper brings their wine, they ask for the news. What do you know? Innkeeper settles down, I'll talk, sure. And they hear some things. First off, Loghain, that false dragon that we have been hearing about, proclaimed himself, defeated those Aes Sedai, the last we heard. He has been captured. Yes. How? Not entirely sure, but Aes Sedai they were have. able to overcome him, have him, and are taking him to Tarvalin, stopping him as kind of a uh, pompous parade, if you will. It's very Roman in the style of marching their prisoner through and big celebration every time. Every town, they got to stop and show him off. Now, you said taking him to Tarvalin. You sure it's not Tarvalon? No, it's Tarvalin. I'm, I'm just checking. One Positive. times I might win you over. Never. Tarvalon. Okay. So going to Tarvalin. And on the way... It's expected they'll stop in Camelin. The biggest city along the way. The capital of Andor, where they will present him to the queen. Queen Morghese. Thousands of refugees are also fleeing from Lugard, the area where Loghain was taken. Mm -hmm. Now, refugees is in quotes, air quotes. And in essence, that's the way the innkeeper says it. They're all fleeing because of the chaos. Truthfully, that's probably largely what's left of his army, yes? Right. None of them had anything to do with the Troubles. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Many of them are probably previous supporters of the False Dragon when they thought he was the Dragon, but since he's defeated, he's clearly the False Dragon, and now we want to make ourselves scarce. And this is where we formally hear that Ilian has called for the Hunt for the Horn. 
We didn't hear it from Bell Doman. He's just headed down to Elian. Here's what we heard. Here we officially get told that, which the makes hunt the hunt for the horn. It makes the offer to go down to Ilian even more enticing. Yep. yep. Now the hunt for the horn. We're talking about the horn of Valir. The horn of Valir is a fabled instrument that has power to call back heroes of the past. Do they actually know what it does? I don't think so. I'm, but they're going to find out. So I'm just throwing it here. They're going to find out. It's coming. But really, the big things that are known in the world about the Horn of Valir, one, it's very popular and wanted. Two, it's fancy-ish. Three, it is a sign that the last battle is coming. A big prophesied thing. It needs to be there for the last battle. So they're saying, basically, last battle's coming. The signs are there. It's It's time to find the horn. It's written in the stars. Now, they've had hunts for the horn in the past. They never found the horn. This time, they're going to try to find the horn. All this gossip from the innkeeper, none of it's what they want to hear. They wanted to hear if their friends had come through town. So like, you know, have there been any strangers coming through? So they ask directly. They, they describe who they're looking for. And the well, innkeeper says... specifically, doesn't Rand describe who they're looking for? Tom doesn't. Yeah, they. It wasn't really important which one. Well, Sorry, it's, it's important in the now. fact that Tom's not dumb enough to do that. Well, someone has to. They have to get the answer. <sighs> there are better ways. The innkeeper says no... But you guys should leave, like, as soon as possible. Suddenly, he looks uneasy. Not so, hi, how you doing? Welcome to my inn. And Tom can discern here that, okay, someone else has been asking after these people, and that's why the innkeeper's uneasy, so Tom does dig deeper. Mm -hmm. The innkeeper reveals two people have been asking about them. First, a scrawny, crazy man, shifting between whining and commending, came looking for people who match Moraine, Lan, and the three boys. And he's moved on towards Camelin. Left it, town that direction. It was a weird interaction, and pretty sure he's insane. Yeah, the town watch was ready to run him off. He was a real freak. Then another fellow came by, someone who really creeped the innkeeper out. And he's been around more than once. They can tell from the description the innkeeper gives uh, that this guy's a fade. That's why he's creeping you out. He doesn't tell him that. You know, they don't say, you, um, you, by the way, he's a mirdrill. Yeah. They don't say that. It's like you've never seen his face. He always wears black. With a hood. He always kind of feels yeah. like he's looking down. The Fade was looking for all the same people the crazy man had asked for, but also for a girl that's with them and a white-haired gleeman. Oops. Tom's like, well, that's interesting. I mean, there's lots of white-haired gleeman. <laughs> Tom's like, oh, crap, he's looking for me, too? No! I just dyed my hair white this past weekend because I thought it would be (laughs) cool. Yeah, that's totally what I did. Again, the innkeeper encourages them, finish your drinks and go, okay? And he leaves them there. Tom suggests Matt and Rand, we should all get on Doman's ship because there's a fade looking for us again and the others haven't been seen. Let's just go south. Clearly, the fade knows you guys are heading to Tarvalin. He knows what direction you're going. If we go the opposite direction... If we just never go to Tarvalin... You ought to be fine. And you don't need to be getting yourself wrapped up with Aes Sedai anyway. No, they're they're good for nothing. But of course, Rand and Matt are... No, we need to go on. But Alzaman's creatures are going to chase us and find us wherever we go. Going south to Ilion won't help, Tom. We need to go and get the Aes Sedai. So we're going... They're arguing about this. Tom's trying to argue for his perspective. The boy's saying the other perspective. And then they hear a commotion on the other side of the room. Something about Trollocs. Uh-oh. Somebody's talking about Trollocs? Mm-hmm. I wonder what that could... They turn their heads and... Ah, uh, shit. Crap. It's Gelb. Florin Gelb is in the common room. And he's telling anybody who'll listen about being chased by Trollocs. 
and being kicked off his ship because of these stupid passengers who were dark friends and told lies about me to my captain and and going on and on. Man, I knew there was a reason we fired him. (laughs) Tom's like, okay, we can't go back to Doman now Um, because according to the innkeeper, this Fade guy has come back a few times. He's going to hear this story. He's going to hear someone's talking about Trollocs and us, and he's going to come check it out. We need to get out of here now. Tom takes the purse coins that have been given by Doman, splits them up between the three of them. He's saying, just in case we get separated. Everybody needs some of this money. Not that I'm leaving you guys. I'm not ditching you, but we never know what might happen. So everybody gets like two copper or... No, there's some coins. I mean, it's not gobs and gobs, but it's coins. It's probably more than the boys really are used to having, even when it's split. They didn't get those silver coins back. No. But they got the equivalent. And those silver isodine coins were some serious money. So they do have some money here. They sneak out a window. They happen to be in a part of the cor- of the common room that has like a little wall, partial wall that's blocking from the rest of the room, part of the view. So they can open this window and sneak out it. Nobody can actually see them. They're out of line of sight. They sneak out into an alley. So Gelb never gets to see them. Mm-hmm. And while they're out there... Well, let's be real. Gelb wouldn't have seen them anyways. <laughs> he would have fallen asleep on watch again. Ah, <laughs> nice. Matt wants to know, okay, Tom, why are you helping us? What is the deal? Why aren't you just... I mean, we're being chased by Fades and Trollocs. You could go to Ilian with Doman. I mean, why are you sticking it out with us? And we finally get a little information about Tom's past. He explains he had a nephew named Owen. Owen. They, they remind him of Owen. And Owen got into some trouble with Aes Sedai. And Tom, when that happened, was too slow to help. He was too busy with his own life. When he did finally get around to trying to help Owen out, it was too late. And because of that, Owen died a few years later. And Tom says, you could say Aes Sedai killed him. He does allude to the fact that Aes Sedai didn't kill him, but like maybe it's their fault or something they did or... Tom ba- uses this story to say, if you guys can keep free of the Aes Sedai, Do it. that would be a good thing. And if I can help you keep free of them, I'll be basically making up for not being able to help Owen. At least a little bit. Probably not something you can ever really make up for, especially if you feel that kind of guilt. Yeah. But you're going to do everything you can to try and redeem yourself. So Tom leaves them and goes, take care of something, prepare something. They're just alone in the alley for a few minutes. And they're like, what the heck was that about? Oh, yeah. Anytime Rand and Matt are left alone, they talk. Rand's thinking to himself, okay, if Owen was in trouble with Aes Sedai, there's only one thing a guy gets really in trouble with Aes Sedai. Well, I mean, there's two, but there's one that's more common. What do you think he's thinking? Uh, he, he's thinking Owen probably could channel, or at least the Aes Sedai thought he could. The other option is um, he was a white cloak, but we're pretty sure that's not the case. <laughs> As they're waiting for Tom, a man steps into the alley. Tall man with a hood pulled up over his face, hiding his face. He moves closer. Matt and Rand are like, oh, man, they're bracing for action. Something's going to happen. And then Tom lowers the hood, says, oh, you couldn't tell it was me? (laughs) Well, this costume will work. All right. They're going to try to get past the city gates unnoticed. So Tom has his costume. He doesn't look like the white-haired Gleeman now. He doesn't have his very noticeable Gleeman's cloak all wrapped around him, giving this flamboyantly patchwork. Yeah, he's got that all bundled up with his instruments and hanging on to that. And he tells Rand, okay, now, dude, you are way too tall. You're kind of noticeable. Can you slouch a little bit? That'll help. I'm used to that. And Matt, you're probably fine. Let's go. So they leave the alley one at a time, not in a group. They don't want to be identified as three guys walking together. 
and they're heading across towards the road, heading out of the square. They were on that main square that was just a straight shot through, so... Yep. And Rand happens to turn back and look, and oh, there's the fade coming right at them. Well, shit. I guess the disguises weren't good enough. Clearly, they're busted. Rand freezes. Tom notices, grabs him, gets him going, hands him the bundled Gleeman cloak. It's more of like stuffing it in his arms. With his instruments inside, says, take care of this. Go. Don't stop till you get to Camelin. When you make it there, get to the Queen's Blessing and in. Now mm-hmm. run! Run! We get a real Gandalf fly you fools moment. We do! That's pretty good. And just like where Gandalf then faced off against the Balrog... Tom faces off against the Mirdral. Yeah, he literally pulls some daggers out of nowhere and charges the Fade, tackling it to the ground. Talk about guts. And it works, because the Fade's like, uh, people don't do this to me, what? <laughs> Boom! Takes him out. The boys are just running. Uh, it doesn't last very long because they hear Tom screaming then afterwards. It's not a good sound. No. But they do successfully get away. They flee out the town gates. Nobody stops them because there's a whole mass of people running out mm-hmm. of whatever the heck is going on in the town square. Someone's screaming. There's this bad guy. Whatever. As they look back, they see no Tom, but also no fade. They keep running and running and running. Until finally, they've gotten so far, there's no one else with them. The road is now empty. It's just the two of them. Unfortunately, assuming Tom must be dead, he at least got them out of there. And they can continue on their journey. Now they have to do some good with what Tom bought them. So let's keep moving. Which takes us to the next section of chapters. Chapters 31 to 34. It's a mess. They're the -the on-the-road chapters. Rand and Matt are traveling to Camelot. And they are a bit jumbled up. What we hear doesn't get revealed to us entirely chronologically. For simplicity, we'll mostly turn it into chronological. Mm. For me, when I first read them, I definitely just read it all chronologically and then realized later that didn't make sense. Yeah. And then going back the second time I had done that book, I was able to follow it, but I was still kind of like, this is an interesting choice of how to write these chapters. It does make more sense on a reread. So in essence, what we learn is that continuing on after Whitebridge, Rand and Matt encounter plenty of people on the Camelin Road, wagons and carts, as well as people on foot like them. Sometimes they can catch a ride on a wagon for a bit and get a little farther faster, but mostly they're walking. The first village they come to after Whitebridge reminds Rand of Emmons Field, mm-hmm. and he hesitates. Hey, this looks nice, but Matt's like, uh-uh, we're too close. Keep going. We can't stop here. We don't know what might happen. We can't trust anybody. They go just a little further down the road, find a place to sleep off to the side under some bushes, wrap themselves in their cloaks. Not real pleasant way to pass a night. No. Not the last time they'll have to do it this way. They have a little bit of money, but it's better if they save that for emergencies. Right. So they just, there's literally a little water in a puddle that they can drink, and that's all they have. They don't eat. They just manage to not die of thirst. Long days of travel, followed by cold, hungry nights. It kind of wears on you. Mm -hmm. I feel like we can kind of summarize and say it's kind of shitty travel. Mm. And the points of real of interest here can be best told as kind of vignettes. They start eventually realizing we've got to do something to survive. Mm -hmm. We've got to do a little better. So they start going up to farmers along the way and saying, hey, do you have any work we can do for you in exchange for a hot meal and maybe a place to stay tonight? Rand hates when they do this because it's hours that they're not moving towards Camelin. Yeah. But he feels it is necessity. It's an honest way to get what you need to survive. Yep. Sometimes it works. Farmer says, sure, here, I'll put you to work mucking out the horses or 
toss in some hay bales for me or something. Sometimes it doesn't for one reason or another, be it either the general state of affairs, it's been a hard winter, things are not going quite as well, people can't be as generous, or they look around and see Matt and see his shifty eyes and say, mm, I don't think so. Yeah, and that becomes a growing problem. There's something going on with Matt where he's paranoid. He's very quick. And this is not the Matt Rand grew up with. No. Matt is is not trusting anybody. And if anyone seems to look at him a little wrong, he starts really getting twitchy. Matt's the one who's always going to find a way to find a laugh. And he's not right now. No, he's getting very negative. And to be fair, the situation is justifying it in many ways. He doesn't seem to be handling ways, the stress very well. But it's not the same as Rand. Like, Rand is stressed, but he's fine. Matt. Yeah. So there are times where they get, yeah, sure, you can do this work for us. And because of the way Matt is acting during the time when the work is done, they renege on it. You know, you guys maybe should be moving along and don't feed them. Don't let them stay. And that starts happening more and more. This is not going well. It could come to a really bad circumstance where they're really up a creek, except they get to the Grinwell farm. Yay. This turns out to be a good one for them. Well, kind of. No, it does. Master Mostly. Grinwell and his wife are really kind-hearted people. They have nine kids. Big, they big farm. really and like having kids. When they do. Lots of rainy nights. When uh, Matt and Rand come up to Master Grinwell, he's like, you know, uh, there's always some work that I could uh, have some lads do. Sure, I'll, I'll put you to work. And his wife comes along and says, you know, I'm just about to do some laundry here. And you guys look really worn. I can't have you at our dinner table looking like that. Tell you what, you change out of those clothes. You can wear some of my husband's older stuff while you do some work here. And I'll, I'll wash your clothes for you. Which is really nice because they don't have washing machines. And they've been on the road for days and days. These are those clothes gross. have to really be nasty. And she's now. doing it by hand. Yep. So that's really kind. Problem. <laughs> this is where the problem starts. Yeah. The oldest child is named Else. Which I know it's Else. I read Else. I always want it to be Elsie. E-L-S-E. Else. <sighs> Some say Elsa, no, which it, I could see Elsa. I could do that. But it just, but it hurts. Else. It hurts that it's Else. It is. <laughs> when I originally it read it, I read it as Elsie. But in the audiobooks, it's Else. It is Else. Robert Jordan said it was Else. It just hurts. <laughs> so Else, about their age, maybe a year younger, as they're working out and, you know, they're doing hard work and they're not putting their shirts on at first because you're all sweaty and all. She seems to really be enjoying just watching the boys work. She's goggling these hot looking dudes. That's what's going on here. I mean, they're not ugly and they're she, fit. She particularly seems to have an eye for Rand. And Rand's... He's tall. In his thoughts, he's like, okay, if we get run off from this farm, it's not going because Matt was being nasty. It's going to be because they're going to notice Elsa's going all googly eye on me and they're going to want me out of here. Nothing happens. <laughs> Nothing happens initially. <laughs> And they go ahead and do their jobs and then they get to eat with the family and everyone settles in in the common area of the house after the meal's done. What do you do as a large family at night? You just hang out together. So they're hanging out and all these kids are actually a good thing for Matt because he doesn't get so nasty with children. He doesn't get so paranoid. He actually starts entertaining them. He gets out the juggling balls and he starts juggling for the kids. Woohoo! And... And I've done this. I don't know if you've done something like I this. I have, actually. He starts actually making mistakes with them because the kids oh, laugh when he drops them or something. No, it's great. My very limited level of juggling means when I juggle for the kids. Oh, you, um, you drop things easily. 
because currently <laughs> I'm, I work with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I've said that on here. I juggle and I can get three or four rounds and then I'll drop them. That's the extent of my juggling. That's what made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why you were laughing earlier. Uh, Eric on our Patreon on Discord here is, has helped us out that the auto, audio, it's more like L's instead of L's. 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 Like you, you're saying the letter L, but it's plural. Yeah, there's L's. two of them. <laughs> I, li- I like that better than else. Again, I as we've said in other times, because it's a work of fiction and there's no one actually with this name, you may feel free to say it as you wish and convince yourself you're right and we will not correct you. Gotcha. It's Edna. Unless you're like Zach. You may not do that. Why not? <laughs> My head cannon. And I know the audiobooks is like Michael Kramer and Kate Redding. They have so much power because of how they pronounce it. But and anything. Great, though. But even over the course of the audiobooks, they change how they pronounce some things at times. So yeah. even they were kind of figuring it out. It, it's funny. So this is going well. He's juggling for the Grinwells. And then uh, Rand gets out his flute, mm-hmm. plays some music, and, and that's going real well. And it starts to give them some ideas. But before the ideas, oh, crud. Els is really enjoying this. She's like clapping overly loud and, and really fawning over the music. And, and her mom is noticing. And she's like, hmm. And Master Grinwell's like, hey, you guys want to stay a couple more days? I got my work for you. You're entertaining. And this entertainment, man, this is better than I've seen. I've got nine saw. kids. This I need help. This is better than I've seen in some common rooms that I've, you know, paid for on the travel. You guys are great. No. Master Grinwell is 100% walking up to them and saying, help me. <laughs> I didn't get it that way. <laughs> Two things happen from the missus. Yeah. She says, first off, you know, boys, I think we're going to have you stay inside tonight rather than staying out in the hayloft. We're going to let you have Elle's room. She can sleep with me in in my bedroom. And uh, you guys can have her bed. And she (laughs) immediately, her Elsa's expression is like, (laughs) because you know she was thinking some shenanigans that night, which is hilarious. Like, busted that's not happening but also when master grinwell says you know maybe you guys will stay on longer she's like um no i'm pretty sure they need to be leaving right away tomorrow these boys need to move along before we have trouble with our daughter to be fair what's she got against her potentially being maybe they could have convinced these two to stay and there could have been a happy life there i think it's typical of she's too young to be thinking about these things she's their oldest i just don't know how young she is But you know they're not in a village they're out on a farm it's just their own little family. And sometimes you then look at your kids and think of them as younger than they are, too. Mm. And so I think some I don't have that on. experience. I was not raised on a farm. No, very much on purpose, because I would hate farm life. If any of you are farmers, I give you lots of kudos. I did some work on farms. Yeah. I helped do haying and rock picking and birthed a cow one time. I hel- I've helped a I never wanted to do that, that with my life. Ugh, so hard. Mucking out the pigs. Ugh. I nope. liked the piggies. Don't want to do that. Nope. No, thank you. They stink, but they're nice. Cute in an ugly way. All that said, next morning, the boys are on their way. But they do have an idea. This is what you're alluding to before. You want to elaborate on that idea just a little bit that has struck them now? I mean, they've been starving, but they have this flute. I mean, they've even got the harp, but they're not going to touch that. They don't know how to do anything with that anyways. They got juggling balls. Yeah. So they could do the whole thing they were training to do as their cover and actually try to be entertainers for their keep. 
Right. So the very next town they make it to, which is by that next evening, Mm -hmm. they go to the inn in town and say, hey, we can entertain. Could we uh, play a little and juggle a little and earn our keep at your place? And the guy they're talking to says, well, show me what you can do. And he, uh, they do. And show he's like, me what you got. And it's like, yeah, all right, I'll take you on. And so they entertain for the evening. They get hot meals and a place to sleep for free. Yeah. Just for entertaining. Sweet. And this is what they do night after night. Oh, yeah. They, Secret unlocked. They get some rides. Often the innkeeper will hook them up with someone who is staying at the inn that night who's traveling on. And so they get part of the distance or even as far as the next town with their rides. And they just go from town to town. Life is not good, but it is better. It's pretty good now. Playing their way towards Camelot till they get to Four Kings. Chapter 32 is called Four Kings. The boys have arrived at a town that's larger than any of the ones they've passed before. It's a little scruffy looking. It's more of a flying J. Did I insult flying J's? It's kind of a trucker stop. No, I, pop quiz. Why is it called Four Kings? There is a reason for that. Uh-huh. It's not in my notes. It goes back in history. There's a battle. No, there's a there's a, a woman who tricks Four Kings. But I, I don't have it in my memory. Do you remember it? No, you I was I was really hoping you remembered because oh, I, I wanted to know. There's a I there's a myth of, of someone and the four kings, a wise woman and the four kings. And I she know tricks them all and stuff. I don't know if it's and they're not so wise. I don't remember if it's this. I don't even remember if it's this series. There's something it's somewhere in, series, in my though, brain books from now. that has like a woman who took a crown from a whole bunch of people and people wanted to do it. And there was something they had to do. And then some farmer ended up getting it and it, being crowned. And I feel like it is this. I think it is this. Yeah. But that's later. We'll get to it. Yeah. It'll come back. So when we get to that story, here's what you first heard about Four Kings. It's named after that story. Clearly, it's important. And we don't remember it not important very important we just don't remember but when you're world creating not everything you create is important a lot is but if you only created important things then everything you'd create would have to be important that's an awful okay, lot of pressure as a, as a dm i fundamentally disagree when you're creating it everything is important because theoretically everything could be important uh, no and it's later pressure. on oh it is a lot of pressure Later on, you start toning things back and go, okay, things that didn't pan out or weren't interesting, we'll just pretend they weren't important ever. Sometimes when you build it, it you have to build it to be important. It's just a road. It doesn't have to be important, but there's still a road you created. I'm just going to say, not everything's important. From a creative standpoint, I kind of disagree that it doesn't end up it doesn't end up being important, but I'm not going to come up to someone and say, "Yeah, the stuff you're making, that's not important." So, we're in for kings. Rand and Matt, just as they'd done before, they're going to try to, you know, make a, a play, name for themselves, get some food and a place to stay. Well, hopefully not too big a name. This town being a little bigger has a number of inns. The first three that they go to already have music coming out of them. So, okay, no shot yeah. there. The fourth one they get to, it's quiet. That'll work. They go inside. Not many people inside. There's a bony, thin, scrawny innkeeper, long, stringy hair, Uh-oh. and he just scowls at them. Wow, he doesn't seem very pleasant. A skinny innkeeper. He asks, what do you want? Never trust a skinny innkeeper. They go up and give their spiel to him, and, and he's like, ah, we don't need an entertainer. And one of his serving maids happens to be passing by right now, and she's like, you mean we don't need a serving, we don't need a, a entertainer. Our, the musician we have is a drunk we haven't seen in two days 
And he just, without even looking at her, backhands her across the face, knocks over the serving stuff she was carrying, breaks the stuff, and he's like, and that's coming out of your pay. I don't like, like domestic violence. This is not a very pleasant person, and it's setting a tone. The innkeeper, whose name is Samuel Hake, he looks at the boys again. He notices Rand's Heronmark's sword, and he seems to change his tune. He says, you know, tell you what. I might as well give you a, a shot here. I got an old storeroom in the back. You can sleep on a couple pallets back there, and you can eat when everyone's gone this evening. If you can manage to entertain enough to fill the common room. If you don't fill the common room, you're out of here. It's definitely like the worst deal they've gotten yeah. doing this. But no respect. It's about the only option they've got. But okay, they get to work. They do make an exception. You know, uh, Rand has learned something. They're not quite as country bumpkin anymore. And he says, no, no, no. We won't eat when it's all done. We'll eat two hours after dark. We get a break. We get to eat. He's like, fine. But again, you better be worth it. Well, they proved to be worth it. Yeah. Their show, it fills the common room. Either Tom is a really good teacher or they're just really naturally gifted. I think it's a combination. Tom is a good teacher. He knows his stuff. But again, they, they, they had aptitudes. Matt is good with his hands. Some will comment on that later. <clears throat> I get, spoiler well, light, I spoiler get light. It appears that Rand can play the flute. I mean, you can either play an instrument or you can't. They're not throwing stuff at him. He must be able to. He picked it up. So they're, they're successful. They're entertaining. And the room fills up, but it fills up with a different kind of crowd than they're used to. And this kind of goes with the tone of this inn that matches the innkeeper. If other places were your hip-hop happening places... Hip-hop happening. Yeah, I felt weird saying it. Where you go and hang out, go to a club, go to a bar. This is a dive bar. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's two big brawny bouncers. We have not heard anything about bouncers previously, but this place has bouncers. Not every place that has bouncers are bad. These two brawny dudes are busy bouncers. Yeah. Because multiple times throughout the night, there's fights where they have to chuck people out. Also, the serving maids have to be on their toads because there's some very handsy patrons. And occasionally the bouncers have to come save a serving maid and again, chuck someone out. It's not a very pleasant crowd. Nevertheless, they're entertained. And they get it's a place they get to eat. They take a break to eat. And while they're eating in the kitchen, they overhear the kitchen maids and serving maids talking about some guy who's just come in. Not the kind of person they usually see in this inn. He's clearly wealthy. They think he's a merchant. The rumor is he just came in after dark, came from Whitebridge. Gotcha. Pulled into Four Kings late at night here, horses all lathered and tired, like he really came as fast as he could. Mm -hmm. And that he'd stopped at multiple inns, stepped into the common room, looked around and turned right out and left again until he got to this one. And when he stepped in here, looked around, saw something he liked and stayed. Which really puzzles them because they're like, we are, like you said, dive bar. Yeah, why would you have gone to the other places? This guy could afford the best place in town. Not. Why is he here? And Rand, ding, he's like, saw something he likes. Whitebridge, this guy uh -oh. might be looking for us. This could be a dark friend. His dark friend antennas going off. His dark friend radar. Boop, DR, boop, dark friend radar. Boop. Can that be a thing? DR, dark friend radar. I'm going to say I'll get back to you after I check if DR is something dark else. Dark dar, dark dar. Your dark dar? It's his dark dar. I like that. Trademark, right here. I both like it and think it's horrendously stupid at New the same time. New t-shirt, Dark Dar. So his Dark Dar is going off, man. They go back out to begin performing again, and they see the guy looking over and sees them. There's like eye contact, and suddenly he looked a little tense at first and then just relaxes. Ah, and they're like, dang it. He was watching to see if we'd come back in. Oh, he is looking for us. He doesn't do anything. 
He's just watching. Somebody's watching you. They hear his name. Harold Goad. How'd you say that name? Howell. Sorry. My eyes are going bad. Where are your glasses? They won't work from this distance. Oh, you got to get closer. I have glasses for reading. Hmm. This is just, well, I know I'm reading, but I'm too far away from the notes. <laughs> it's a big screen. They're big letters. I'm surprised you need your glasses. So Howell Goad, he watches them the rest of the evening. No matter what they're doing, every time they trade off between Matt and Rand, and Rand can see Howell Goad has his eyes on them. He's convinced his, his dark dar is going strong. This guy's here for them. The evening is drawing to a close. People are filtering out of the bar. There's not really anyone left. Goat's, Goat's kind of still the last there. one to leave the room. He stays to the bitter end. Hake and his two bouncers, mm -hmm. not so kindly, but enough, show Rand and Matt to the back storeroom. Rand is kind of thinking, I've got a bad feeling about these guys. I think they may just try to steal our stuff. I've got a bad feeling about this. They may not even be showing us to a room. This may be just a the time they're going to get us in the back. Hit us over the jump head us, and take our money. Take our stuff. He remembers that uh, Hake had, had saw his Heron Mark sword mm -hmm. earlier. It's like he knows swords like that are worth something. At the very but least, no. it's pretty. But sure enough, they actually take him back to a storeroom. And there are a couple pallets where they can sleep now. Okay, great. I leave them there. Once they're gone, they look, okay, at the door. There's no lock. They're like, okay, they didn't rob us, but they may just be waiting for us to fall asleep. Yeah, and maybe they, they noticed the heron mark and Lan told them what that means. Yeah, maybe maybe it's intimidating. They may be afraid that I can do something with this heron mark sword. So instead, they say, okay, we need to find a way to barricade this door. They look and realize, one, there's no lock. There's no way to easily do this, so best thing they can do is uh, they find some pieces of wood and they, they wedge it into the door, basically and putting door stops in there. wedges for, like, splitting wood, yeah. if you've seen. They use those. Now, there's a, there's a storm growing outside, so they time it. They listen to the lightning and thunder, and when the lightning flashes, they know there's about to be a burst of thunder. That's when they pound them One, under the door. One, two, three. Crack boom! And so you don't hear them, but... Let's just be glad for a moment that this door apparently opened into the storeroom, yes. not out into the hallway, because otherwise True. that would have been completely pointless. Now, at this point, even though they blocked the door, they're not feeling good. Their hackles are up now. To escape, they're sure one of those bouncers is probably out there guarding the door. There's no way we're just going back out. So let's try to just sneak out the window. So they open the window hatch, get that open, and they put bars, bars on, on his window, window Mum. <laughs> there's no bars way to get on out. the window. They start trying to break off the bars, pry these open, and then they hear someone at the door trying to get in. Uh oh. Rand assumes it's Hake. Go away, Hake. It's not Hake. It's not Hake. It's Howell Goad. Hi. And this goes south fast very as goad says basically let me in i'm with the dark lord yeah i'm, I'm, with a, the dark I'm a dark friend come let me in i have cookies <laughs> isn't that how it goes basically saying i am here because our master has told me to come and collect you there's no point in you not coming with no. you know the dark one will have you anyways no granted in this moment Goad makes no comment or notion about knowing exactly who these boys actually are. Just that the Dark One wants them. Or that they aren't also Dark friends. Mm -hmm. He assumes they are. His Dark Dar is not working, maybe, as well as... It's not very finely that. tuned. No. They're like, no, we are not going with you. And then, bam, someone starts pounding on the door to try to break it in. This doesn't sound like Goad. I'm pretty sure he's got someone with him. Or Goad is just really deceptively strong. They've been trying to get the bars off the window. They're trying really hard. But this door is already starting to push past the wedges, and Rand is freaking out. We need a way out. We need a way to escape. And then, bam! 
The wall freaking explodes. Lightning strikes. Rand doesn't know. He just gets blown back and kind of knocked senseless for a moment. But when he regains his senses, he's like, what the heck happened? And I picture it as kind of that thing where he's yelling, what the heck happened? And Matt is like, what? (laughs) Partly deaf, but Matt does get across that, okay, you're asking what happened? Lightning struck! Because I was watching the window and I saw lightning and now I can't see a bloody thing. (laughs) It's really stupid, but I now have the image of those chocolate bunnies and one has like its tail bitten off and the other has its ears bitten off. And it's like, (laughs) my ass hurts. What? Yeah, I've seen that one. That's pretty good. So Matt saw lightning struck, but he can't see anything now because he was watching when lightning hit. Rand wasn't looking. Rand was looking at the door when he got knocked senseless. He looks back at where the window was. There's no window anymore. There's, There's a big no hole wall. in the wall. He looks back at the door. The door is blown off the hinges, and there's no goad. Well, there's no anybody else. There's nobody there. Yeah. Good chance they were blown to smithereens. Who knows? But he's like, wow, now that is some luck. Let's not waste this. We got to go. He grabs Matt, drags him out the hole in the wall, and they get out of fort. They disappear in the rain. Chapter 33, called The Dark Waits. It actually jumps ahead a bit. Where yeah. We see Rand and Matt are riding in a wagon some days after this. Matt can mostly see now, just a little light sensitive still. Rand is talking to himself about how how weird it is that he feels great because he was so sick. And we don't know anything about him being sick. Maybe he must have caught something in the rain? Something, though. And just to be so sick and then just fully recover so fast, how weird that is. And then we jump into a flashback again. And it jumps us right back to where they escaped from Four Kings in the middle of a thunderstorm. Rand pretty much dragging Matt along because Matt can't see anything. It's a mess. They got out as far as they could, stumbling away in a storm, out of Four Kings, found a place in the fields, and, and hid. And basically, the moment they hit the ground, they pass out. And dream. And hey, hi, Bialzaman buddy, how you doing? And it's not a very pleasant dream. And Confirmation, both, Goat is a dark friend. They get that in the dream. They both have the same dream. Mm-hmm. And they both know from the dream, yep, Goad was with me. And now I know where you are. And again, I'm telling you, Bowsman saying this, there's nowhere you can go to hide. You are mine. You can expect the hunt for them intensifies. First light, they continue again. Farmer comes up from behind them, gives them a ride, gets them to the next village just after dark. They use some of the money, that emergency fund, and they actually buy a meal and a room in this place. It's not like Four Kings. This place seems kind of nice. The innkeeper, a good stout man, not a skinny, shady guy. (laughs) Rand specifically notes something you wisecracked about earlier, that he doesn't think he'll ever be able to trust another scrawny innkeeper. I mean, that's fair. So they get that nice meal. They go to bed early, sleep well. In the morning, Matt is thankful to notice he can see a little bit. Everything's blurry, but he can at least tell Rand is Rand now. You know, yeah. that's a big improvement. So the red hair a is better. a little bit of a giveaway. Yeah. Feeling a little better with a good night's sleep and that Matt can see now he's not permanently blind. They go back down to the common room with their stuff. They're ready to leave, but let's, let's spend a little more money before we head out the door and buy a breakfast. So they're having breakfast. Nice hot mm-hmm. breakfast. I think the first hot breakfast they've had on the road. While they're eating, (laughs) their mood gets crushed. A young man enters the common room, looks around, sees them, freezes, staring at them, and then comes right over to them. 
He says, hi, my name is Peter. Hi, Peter. And I'm an... No. (laughs) He looks kind of nervous. He shares, "Um, this is my idea. I have to do this. They made me... And Matt's right there going, dark friend. His dark dar is going going off. off Big time, yes. Dark friend. And the boy jerks about that, but doesn't deny it. They make it clear, Peter, leave us alone, or we will out you as a dark friend. Peter's like, guys, no, no, relax. I mean, I heard about what happened in Four Kings. I just want to talk. I don't have anybody else with me. I'm not like trying to jump you or do anything bad. It's just me. And they insist, leave us alone. They grab their stuff. They're heading out of the inn. Pater grabs Rand by the arm. Rand turns around and swings a good punch right in the nose. Clocks him in the nose. Knocks him on his butt. Pater shouts at this. You won't get away. No matter how strong you are, the great lord of the dark is stronger. The shadow will swallow you. Dark friends don't like being punched. No. Innkeeper on the other side of the room gasps at hearing this. Pater (sighs) realizes, I said that a little too loud. Well, crap. And runs out of the inn. So do Matt and Rand pretty quick after that and get out of there. They receive six short wagon rides from locals that day. And they hear multiple stories throughout the day about what happened back at Market Sharon. Apparently the name of the town they just came from. All this nonsense about dark friends and... Yeah. People who, it's a yeah, mess. I mean, dark friends. Come on. There's no dark friends around here. This is nonsense stuff. Nevertheless, Rand and Matt are feeling pretty twitchy that everybody's talking about dark friends. And, and they also now have no money. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be forced to do one of two things. Either sleep in some bushes or work for their keep. Making it to the next village. It only has one inn called the Queen's Man. And they, they decide, okay, let, let's give the entertainment gig a shot again. Matt figures he can see enough to juggle. And Rand's like, I can still play. I mean, there's no problem there, so let's try. They go into the common room, and this place is packed already. Mm -hmm. They go up to the innkeeper. They say, you know, we want to talk to you. And he's like, what? You know, it's so loud in this common room. He takes them out into the kitchen. And they explain again, hey, we could entertain. We could sing. We can juggle. Could we earn our keep that way? He's like, if you can entertain, I'll find something for you. He does notably say he, they will have to share if they want an actual room. Because the place is so packed. And why is that? All these louts heading to Camelin to see the false dragon. Because, as we heard earlier, Loghain is being shipped off there to be presented. Yes. He doesn't even have them sing for him or juggle for him. It's like, if you can do some entertaining, I'll go make some room for you. Yeah. And maybe it'll help control this wild and crazy crowd. We'll there. find a way. Go for it. Yep. So while he's out there trying to clear space, suddenly Rand is overtaken by the chills. He suddenly feels like crap. He's shivering. His teeth are chattering. He's weak in the knees. He feels horrible. Just mm-hmm. out of the blue, out of nowhere, it hits him. Matt's like, what the heck, dude? And Rand's like, come over me. <laughs> you know. And the innkeeper comes back and he's like, what is wrong? And it's very obvious. Rand is very sick all of a sudden. Rand can barely make sense of what's happening around him. But Matt and the innkeeper get him out and they end up in the stable in the back. It's at least somewhere he can hopefully kind of sleep this off. They're going to try to get him settled there. Now it's just Matt and Rand. The innkeeper is so terrified the people in the inn will hear that there's someone sick in the inn that they'll leave. And he'll lose all the money he's going to make tonight. He's content for us to just stay out here so nobody has to know. Mm -hmm. Now at this point, Rand is burning up. 
He's not cold anymore. No, he's hot. And he's going back and forth hot with fever and, and chills cold. and fever and chills. Just, just, oh. Matt tries to find the village wisdom. He comes back saying, uh, yeah, they don't have a wisdom. They have someone else kind of like that, but she's off helping birth a baby. She is not available, so nah. I got nothing for you. I did get some food from the innkeeper. He would give me anything as long as I don't tell people there's a sick person here. And Rand looks at the food. He's like, can't eat anything. He feels like crud. Matt just tries to make him comfortable. He starts seeing things. Basically, all of his worst imaginings are coming true in his visions. It's horrible. Eventually, the fever seems to break. So he's basically having a bad trip. When the worst of it passes, he falls asleep. Okay. He wakes up at dawn because there's a squeak as the front door of the stable opens. And he sees silhouetted against it a woman. He interprets a fine lady because she's in a very fancy silk dress. As she walks into the stable then, he sees jewelry. You know, Matt's right next to him sleeping now. Mm-hmm. Kind of nudges him. And she sees them look, looking at her and she's like, I, uh, I came to check on my horse. She hesitates and looks and goes, are you ill? To Rand. Matt's, uh, he just, uh, something he ate. He, he, he's fine. He's just needed to shake something off. She's like, well, I know some things. Uh, you know, I, I can check. And she approaches the rest of the way. And mm-hmm. they can see she is very well dressed. Seems to be someone of means. And she kind of bends over close and, and then reaches within her cloak. And next thing you know, she tries to kill Matt. Pulls a dagger, stabs it right at him. And stretching across Rand. Matt has some crazy reflexes. Oh man, he darts aside. The dagger goes into the wood right where his chest was, but he's not anymore. And Morse on it. Clearly he deflected this and moved it there because his hand is on her wrist and, and the other, other hand has his dagger to her throat. That fancy dagger with the ruby on it is, yeah, out of its sheath and right up against her neck. And everything's still. And Rand is like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, uh, Matt, because the dagger that she has stuck into the wood, the wood is smoking. It's singeing right there. Pretty sure it's not supposed to do that. Matt shoves her. He pulls that dagger out of the wall, hands it to Rand, looks at her, and you can see murder in his eyes. And Rand's like, uh, dude, no, don't, don't do what you're thinking. Don't, 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 don't do that. She was going to kill us. She's a dark friend. It doesn't matter. If we do that to her, we're, we're as bad better. as her. So what they do is they tie her up. Clearly, they're going to leave her all tied up, and they're going to scram. Yeah. Now, when she realizes they're not going to kill her, then she starts spouting off, there's no point in you leaving. The shadow will catch you wherever you go. You might as well just come with me. It's like none of them ever got the messages from the other ones. That's <laughs> true. They take off. They leave her all tied up. And about a mile outside of town, they catch up and get a ride with Hyam Kinch, which is the guy they were riding with at the beginning of this flashback. He drops them off, the beginning of the last chapter for today, chapter, chapter 34, 34. Uh, at the town of Carrisford, just after dark. Now, they're still too spooked to try another town. Dark town. friends everywhere they go. They go farther down the road, find some haystacks off the side of the road, and they go to sleep. Yeah. They wake up at dawn and they find the road full of people. Singles and pairs, mostly young people, but some older people. It's kind of like, damn, we avoided town to avoid people. But, you know, this many people, probably no one's going to try something. They fall in with the travelers. They learn everyone's on their way to see the false dragon. Could you call them the traveling people? No. (laughs) No, you can't. So, okay, they they continue on with all these people. And they're just a couple days from Camelin now. Mm Mm-hmm. They go through quite a few villages. Now that they're closer, it's kind of like they're hitting the suburbs. You know, there's more towns closer together. 
but they keep going and going. Okay. And, and eventually it's just the two of them still walking. They're walking by moonlight. They reach a town and Matt's like, oh, I cannot go any further, man. We've got to crash. How about we just find a spot right here? Rand's like, no, no, no. Let's at least just get through the town so it's one less town we got to deal with tomorrow, okay? We said no towns, no towns. So we'll go through it, find a place to sleep on the other side. All right, let's go. So they're just stumbling along through the town. Now, it's late enough that the place is pretty deserted, but not so late that everybody's asleep. No, you can still hear music and laughter. There's lights on lots of the buildings. And yeah, music. They get to the inn. It's still a lively place. But again, not many people outside. They only see three people outside the inn. On the end close to them, there's one guy with a cart, and he's working on the harness of his horse. On the far side of the inn, they see two guys having a conversation. And they watch those. They're kind of waiting for the people to move along, and then they could continue. The two guys farther out, they finish their conversation. They can't hear what's going on or anything. But when the one guy turns to leave, he passes a lighted area, mm-hmm. and Rand gets a good look. Crap. It's a fade. Guess what? That cloak's not moving. And he sees the face for just a glimpse. And they know what fades look like now. They have seen fades. So there's a fade already here talking to the other guy. That fade is left. The guy with the wagon, he speaks up. Odd fellow you got for friends now these days, huh? Turns out the guy with the fade, that's the innkeeper, okay, with that inn. And he's out there talking to this shady guy. Mm -hmm. And the other guy is just a merchant, farmer, something. He's just a guy with his cart. And he's questioning, why are you talking to someone so shady in the middle of the night? The innkeeper shares, it's just a man from Four Kings. He's looking for a couple of young men, thieves, who stole a Heron Mark sword from him. He wants the sword, and he wants them because they're dark friends, and they're followers of Loghain. And there's even a reward for them. And the guy with the cart, his name's Almond Bunt. And he's like, uh-huh. right. <laughs> so he wants the sword. But he wants the guys, and they're dark friends, but they're also Loghain followers. Oh, but there's a reward. What? Something's a little fishy. And this guy only meets with you in the dark at night, keeps his hood up, doesn't want anybody to see him. A little questionable. Why isn't he going to the Queen's Guard? People who handle things like, I don't know, know, thieves. Yeah. Why is he talking to you, an innkeeper, and offering you a reward? This this sounds a little fishy to me. The innkeeper's like, "You, you just don't understand. Why don't you just, I mean, you talk about fishy. You're the fishy one. You're trying to leave in the middle of the night. And he does share that his reasoning is, you know, let's get through town when there's not people. This guy's headed to Camelin, and the road has been packed with all these people going to see the dragon. So his plan is, I'm going to just ride all night while all the people are sleeping. And the road is clear. I'm going now. So the innkeeper, he goes inside. Rand and Matt, they go up to him, say, hey, can we get a ride? We heard you're going to Camelin. We want to get to Camelin too. That'd be awesome. Sure. Why not? Hop in. And cue another lore dump. We've had a lot of those this episode. Yeah. So Almond Bunt, he passes the time in the middle of the night by yapping. The boys are tired and Matt, he falls asleep pretty quick, actually. But Rand, he kind of, you know, we're a guest. He's giving us a ride. I'll try to listen and talk a little with you. But mostly it's just listen. Here's the things we hear. Camelin is the greatest city in the world. In no, his opinion, opinion. And yeah. he may be right. We hear again that Morgase is the name of the queen. But she also has an Aes Sedai advisor. Not real popular with the people these days that she has an Aes Sedai advisor. Yeah. What's her name? Elida. Elida, her Aes Sedai. Many of the Andor people don't care for her having an Aes Sedai advisor. Morghese's children, she has two of them that Bunt mentions, the daughter heir, Lady Elaine, and her son, the Lord Gawain. They are soon to head to Tarvalon. 
Because apparently there is a long-standing tradition in Andor that the daughter heir goes to Tarvalon and trains with the Aes Sedai. And the eldest son... And he goes to train to with the warders. With the warders. They are following that same tradition. And again, the people of Andor are kind of like, do they really have to? Why? Stupid tradition. Maybe this tradition could end. So there's precedent for why they're not entirely excited about tradition and doing things the way they've always done. Because the previous daughter heir, Tigraine, Mm. she vanished before she could even take the throne. And her brother, Luke, died in the blight. Terragil Damondred, who was a Kyrienan, married to Tigraine. He was like excited that he was going to be able to be, you know, part of the royalty now and and ruling in Andor. But since Tigraine disappeared, that wasn't going to work now. And yet instead of him being all crushed and and mourning, he just starts looking around. Okay, so which other one of these ruling houses is going to now take over? Because the current house now has no daughter heir. There is no place for it to go. When this queen dies, Someone else has taken over. When it becomes clear that Morgase is the one who's going to become the new queen, he marries her. Hell, he just bounces from Tigraine, having disappeared, and marries Morgase. And Kyrianin, they don't like Kyrianins in Andor at all, so this is all a mess. The only good thing about him is he was the father then of Elaine and Gawain, and then he went and got himself killed. We learned that. We don't hear anything about how or why. But yay, he was gone and nobody cared. Because the Kyrianans, they're the ones responsible for that Aiel war. And And the tree getting chopped down. We do hear learn that the tree caused it. Yep, And and Aiel coming over the dragon wall, he talks about. We don't hear anything about what the dragon wall is. But Rand is left going, oh man, some of this sounds like stuff my dad was talking about again in his delirium. and, And around that time, Rand just finally falls asleep. And it's a good thing this man is a good man because we've got... Both our boys asleep in a wagon, and anything could happen. They could be dead. What does happen is they have nightmares again. <laughs> Rand in particular, and he ends up waking up from one of those nightmares with a shout. Ah! And Almond Bunt's like, um, down, boys. It's all good. We're, We're here. here. Ta-da, Camelin. And with that, end we are here at the end of this chapter and episode. Undeniably, this has been our longest chapter yet. And, and I can guarantee you this is not how long all of our chapters will be. This was just kind of a particular one we needed to get through a good chunk to get these boys to Camelin. Um, Next time, we'll be jumping way back to find out again other characters. The last ones we haven't heard about what happened after Shadow Logoth. So we're going to hear about Maureen and Lan. And yes, she's not dead. Nynaeve as well. Nynaeve. So be sure to cover, or again, if you've read this before, review chapters 21, then jump way ahead to 28. And then jump way ahead to 37 and 38. All of those chapters tie together. If you're sharp, you're thinking, what about 35 and 36? And we'll get there. Yeah, our jumping around isn't quite done yet. We will get to those soon. But now, one more thing, though. Special announcement. Before we get to next Sunday, when we get to cover Moraine, Lan, and Nynaeve. There will be an interruption of our normal programming, if you will. It's time for another midweek special. We had a lot of fun doing the last one, so we figured, let's do another. Let's keep them coming. We did tell them about every five episodes we wanted to do one, and it's that time again. We're really excited to share with you that we've invited some other creators out there, some who have their own podcasts in similar genres podcasts i listen to and thoroughly enjoy uh and they'll be joining us in a little bit of a fantasy draft if you will i'm not a huge football fan but i'm familiar with the idea of fantasy football and so i thought it would be a fun idea to play with that a little bit 
we'll explain more about it when we actually get to it, but we've got five of us, Zach and I, and then three guests, uh, specifically Stephen from Phantology, Drew of Inking Out Loud, and Alex from A Hero's Journey podcast, and each of us will be drafting our own fellowship of adventurers. And again, we'll talk more about it next time, but we're going to have some wild fun uh, bringing in characters from all sorts of fantasy series. Disclaimer, this will be full of spoilers. (laughs) So if you're one that just can't handle hearing about people and stuff that you haven't read the books, avoid this episode. But if you don't mind, keep an eye out for it as it drops midweek. Yes, it'll come out on a Wednesday again. Watch for it on the 24th of February. Going to have some fun. And I guarantee it will be a good ride. (laughs) So as always, thank you for listening. Subscribe to our uh, podcast so you don't miss any of these downloads. Rate and review us anywhere that you listen to your podcast. It really helps us spread the word about what we're doing when people see we've got those star ratings and they can hear what people are thinking about us. If you don't like how we're pronouncing various words or names, <laughs> hit us up at our email, fantasyfortheages at gmail.com. We or... love being corrected. It means you're paying attention. Absolutely. Or you can always contact us through any of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just come talk to us on discord and of course we have a patreon page so if you want to get involved at a higher level you can sign on there Uh, the link is in our show notes you can uh, support us in what we're doing and then get some extra benefits that we offer to our patreons like you heard where we had eric with us earlier today chatting along and correcting us when we're making mistakes along the way that's actually very helpful and we love the interaction anything else zach i've got nothing and we'll talk to you next time